I used to be addicted to porn, used to be a player, a former alcoholic, y'all, favor ain't fair. I'm trying to imitate Christ and love unconditional and praise his name even when it's not traditional. See, I was told by Tina and Pastor Glenn that when I fly out, y'all, I can go in. So I speak, share, serve, do it all on purpose, employed by God full time, no temp service. If you need proof, take a look at my life 10 years ago. Was probably cheating on my wife 10 years ago. A deadbeat father 10 years ago. Was probably hated by my daughter 10 years ago. But God, even in my worst condition, was watching over me, the great mathematician, waiting for me to look up so I could be found. Ten years later, look at me now. Pastor, husband, dedicated father, looking at the devil like, dude, why bother? I'm wearing the full armor, Ephesians chapter 6, and I ain't never scared. I know the fight is fixed. Even in my filth, his love is a diaper. Not really in the cars, but I do dodge vipers. And my old Civic reminds me of his name. See, front to back, back to front, he remains the same. So I live it, yeah, yeah, I live it. Won't let the devil move me, y'all. I'm on my pivot. Praise him for what he's already done, because I'm worthless, but he's got me here preaching at purpose. Good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Rashad. I am so thankful to be here with you. And that was just a little bit of my testimony, and that's how we're going to open it up this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for the privilege to be in your word, just for the privilege to open up your scriptures. Please, Father, as I prepare to give this message, remove me, let them hear all of you, pierce the hearts where necessary, and let us be challenged and changed for your glory. Amen. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. The, te- the title of the scripture is, if you died with him, will you die for me? If you died with him, will you die for me? Anybody at home remember back in the day when you believed in the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus, how those things could control you? My mama used to tell me, Rashad, if you don't go to bed, the Tooth Fairy won't come and give you the money for that tooth. So that controlled me. That made me jump in bed about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, so I could wake up as early as possible. Sometimes it was the Easter Bunny with the candy. Sometimes it was Santa Claus with the, with the toys. But those things controlled me as a child because of the potential of what Easter, you know, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, what the Tooth Fairy was going to do. In the scripture that we're opening up, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, I want you to take a look at this. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. See, with the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus, it's something potential that's, that's imaginary, right? But the love of Christ is something proven and something real. So when you think about my testimony, and yes, that was my testimony. I used to be a player. I was addicted to porn. I was an alcoholic. I cheated on my wife and was a deadbeat father. But the love of Christ still loved me even then. In Romans 5, it says it like this. Look at this. This is the love of Christ. For while we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It goes on and it says, for one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person, someone would even dare to die. The next verse says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. It continues on and says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And finally, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, that's me. That's me. At a time when, when I was addicted to the alcohol and, and living this life of being in the hip-hop community, cheating on my wife year after year after year, deadbeat father who wasn't around, at that moment when my wife had given up on me, when my daughter had given up on me, when my mother had given up on me, God loved me right then and there. Can you, can, you, can you fathom that? Can you, can you just be with me right now in this moment of just thinking through? Because maybe you don't have the sins that I have, but you're a sinner too. And he loved you before he made you get yourself right. And so the love of Christ, Paul says, controls me. Paul, who calls himself a chief of all sinners. I kind of resonate with that. Because it was in that moment when I turned my life over to Christ in 2011 that I realized that this was the only person who still loved me in spite of all the foolishness that I had done. I'll never forget those moments. I was helpless. I was ungodly. I was a sinner. But more importantly, I was the enemy, spiritually, ISIS, hostility with God. And he loved me right then and there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that that love, that love controls us. Who's us? Those who call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's, it's crazy how he would say, he, he says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He goes on and he says, and he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. So the love of Christ, it, it moves us, it motivates us, and it manages us. He says, it's this love that controls everything we do. So I'm asking you this morning, if you died with him, would you die for me? And I'm not talking just the, the physical death. That's not necessarily what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is that if, if you truly died in Christ, then there has to be something new about you that will cause you to die for me. You see, in this crazy world that we got, uh, one of the most vicious things that is going on inside the church right now is that people are holding on to preferences. People are holding on to biases and prejudices and, and styles and all these things that divide us when, when the love of Christ should be controlling us. And therefore, if we've died with him, we should be willing to die for each other. And I'm asking you this morning, would you die for me? Would you die for me? You see, the cross has no benefit if only Christ died and you didn't. Think about that. It's kind of like my iPhone. Uh, me and my wife, Brittany, and my, and my daughter, Genesis, we went to the Indianapolis Zoo. And when we went to the zoo just for Mother's Day, we were walking around and we took all these pictures on the iPhones. And my daughter said, um, would, Dad, would you airdrop that to me? I said, air who? Air what? Because I, I, I didn't know that there was a such thing as an airdrop. And so I got this amazing function on my phone that I have no access to because I don't know how to use it. So like, if I, who cares about the function if I don't know how to use it? Or better yet, it's like T Tina, Tina, the one that works here, she got me into this hotel at La Quinta. And, and they have all these uh, amenities, right? 
but the majority of them you can't do right now because of COVID. So it's like, those are supposed to be benefits, but I get no benefit because I have no access to it. There are things that happen because of the cross that you have no access to because you haven't died. Because you haven't died. And so I'm asking you, if you died with Christ, would you die for me? Because the result of you dying for me is going to produce something beautiful in us. The first thing that it does, the first thing you dying for me, the first thing you dying with Christ and dying for me produces is his regeneration. His regeneration, which is our, that's my first point, his regeneration, which is our new creation. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he says, therefore, from now on, from when on, from the moment that you died with Christ, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh. Even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him no longer in this way. He says we have new eyes. Since we died with Christ, we now see people completely different than we used to see them. This is the part where I say, would you die for me? You see, back where I come from, back in Indiana, Midwest, uh, predominantly white area, that's known for a lot of racism. When we come into the church, they see me, and normally I'm preaching in a hoodie, and I got my Jordans on. And the question is, do you still see me according to how Christ sees me, or do you still see me according to the old values of, of the flesh? That's what he says. He says, when you've died with Christ, from now on, from that moment on, we no longer see people according to the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean I don't see color. It doesn't mean I don't see white. I don't see black. I don't see Mexican, Latino. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean I don't see old, young. It doesn't mean I don't see woman and see male. It doesn't mean I don't see people for all the beautiful diversity that God has given them, right? God created and wonderfully, fearfully made all of us. I shouldn't be ashamed of my skin color or my gender or any of that. What it does mean is this. I no longer place the worldly values on those things that make us beautifully unique. And instead, I place the value that Christ placed on each individual when he died on the cross for them. Do you see how that changes the world? Do you see how we become the city on a hill? Do you see how we stand out, how we are set apart or rather holy when we start seeing people the way Christ sees people? Start seeing them according to their souls. And this changes everything for us. And so I'm asking you at home, if you died with Christ, will you die for me? Perhaps you woke up this morning and you saw this beautiful face on your TV screen or your laptop. And you're like, who was that? And why is he here? Or maybe something rubs you wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's my flow. Maybe it's the way I present myself. But if you've died with Christ, what I'm saying is, in this moment, will you die for me and just see a soul, a soul who, who has no reason to be up here outside of the fact that Christ has called me to do this? Because that's what controls me. And so I'm asking if that same love controls you. Paul goes on to talk about this regeneration in verse 17. Look at this. He says, therefore, and every time you see that therefore, you got to go back and see what it's there for. But we already talked about that, right? And so therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation, not a renovation, 
but a regeneration, right? It's, 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 it's not the, I used to have a car, a Hyundai, not a Honda, a Hyundai, right? A Hyundai XL. And it was, it was look, it was a hoopty, y'all. I came and I can't play. It was a hoopty, right? But I, I painted it and I put some fake rims on it and I put a little system in the back so that it would bump. But, but the engine was messed up. See, I did all that stuff on the outside, but it was still the same old car, no matter how much I made it look pretty on the outside. What I needed was a brand new vehicle. You don't need to be a paint job, Paul says. You're supposed to be a brand new vehicle, a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ has died with him. What is raised up from that is the person who should die for me. So this is what Paul says. If anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The old things have died. What old things? The way you view the world according to the flesh. The way you were impacted by the world according to the flesh. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, right? We see what's really going on. We see things in the spiritual realm because the old person has passed away. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. His regeneration is our new creation. And it's because of that, that if you died with him, then you should be willing to die for me and see me for who I am. And see your neighbor for who he is and see your coworker for who he is. And, and all these things that have, that have got into the church and split us and divided us, those things can be broke down and those barriers can be removed in Christ because we have died to the things that are splitting up the world and we become the examples. This is where Paul is at in the teaching. He goes on to the next verse. I want you to see this. He goes on to the next verse and says, now all these things, what things? The new things. All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on and says, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. One more time, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I don't know if you saw that, but it said reconciled, 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 reconciled like five times in three verses. That kind of tells you what that section of scripture is about when you see it that many times. So what is this word reconciliation? What exactly is this word? Because we've been hearing it a lot over the last couple of years, and it has something to do with, with if we've died with Christ and if we're dying for each other. Reconciliation has something to do with it, but I want you to go back and look, look what it says in verse 18. Look what it says there in verse 18. It says, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. Now, here's one neat fact about reconciliation. It was a word in that, in that uh, day and time of currency, it was, it was used for currency also. Like, when I went to India last year, I had my American dollars. I had to reconcile my American dollars for the rupee because I had the wrong currency for the kingdom that I was in. In the same way as sinners who were born, we are born sinners. We are born with the wrong spiritual currency to enter the kingdom of God. And so we have to reconcile our sin for his righteousness. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the most beautiful part about this is that it says God reconciled us to himself. 
You see, God is so counter-culture. Back in that culture, if you had the wrong currency, you had to initiate the reconciliation because you were in the wrong. But in the kingdom, God, who's not in the wrong, right, is God's kingdom. God, who's not in the wrong, initiates the reconciliation with you. This is the love of Christ. This is what controls me. Y'all think I came out here to preach? Be, be, like if I still saw Christ according to the flesh, like it said in verse 16, I wouldn't be out in California to preach. Back in the day, I would have came out to California to somehow get to Vegas and somehow go do something else I ain't got no business doing because I still saw Christ according to the flesh. But after I received him, after I, I surrendered my life to him, understanding that he died for me, he can see me wherever he wants to go, and I'm just privileged and thankful that I get to be a minister for him. He initiated this. The Bible says no one seeks God, not one. I wasn't looking for God. He was looking for me because he loved me, and when you understand that, it controls you. It changes you. You see, I died with him, therefore I would die for you. Why? Because that's the love of Christ controlling me. That's the proof that the old me has died, passed away. I, I, don't, I, I, I was telling Pastor Glenn and a few of the others, I don't like driving even in Indiana, let alone on whatever this Interstate 10 is that's got the crazy traffic on it. But when you think about the whole reason that I'm here, I've overcome just about every fear I had to so I could be here to preach to you. It's the love of Christ, and it's God who started that, who initiated that. So back, back to this text. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You, you see how he initiated this reconciliation. We had the wrong currency, and he initiated correcting it through Christ. And then those who have given their lives to Christ, he gave them the ministry of Reconciliation, he gave them this, this purpose, this purpose to go out and, and, and to reconcile the world. But, but, but look, this is where we twist it up. Keep going to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is where I think we twist it up. See, another way to explain reconciliation is to go back to when there was not hostility, to when there was not enmity. We talk a lot about reconciliation in our country or in our human context, but you have to ask yourself, what are we going back to? This is why it doesn't work necessarily when you think about it. Um, we cannot go back to something that never was. And so reconciliation belongs to God. Think about this. If we are looking for racial reconciliation here in our country, what are we reconciling to? What are we going back to, to when there wasn't hostility? We don't even have to use racial reconciliation. We can just look at humanity as a, in general, right? And so what God is trying to do is take us back to when Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the day with him, to when humanity was not in hostility with their creator. But notice this, that's where our reconciliation takes place. The Bible says in Ephesians that in Christ we have our peace. So look what happens. 
God has given us this ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by doing what? Not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So not he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, but he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. And the word of reconciliation is the gospel that says you at home, me, the guys running the cameras here, Pastor Glenn, All of us are sinners. Do you see how just at the beginning of the gospel, the most offensive part actually removes so many barriers by itself? You're not better than me. I'm not better than you. No matter your worldly status, no matter your skin color, ethnicity, no matter your tax bracket, your education level, sin says that we are all all cursed in a sense with the same, the, the same problem and we need the same solution, Jesus Christ. In that alone, there's something there that brings the peace that we're actually searching for. So when we share the word of reconciliation with the world, we're not talking down to people. We're not looking down on people. We're, we're not ignoring those who are in the marginal. None of that. We're seeing them and saying, I see you not according to what the world has labeled you. I see you not according to, to, to what CNN or Fox News or what all the, all, you're not a Republican. I don't see you by any of those labels. I see you the way Christ sees you in need of him, a savior a sinner in need of a savior. And because I see the soul, I don't, I don't place value on you the way that the world places value on you. I place the value Christ placed on you. And so when we die with him, we raise up and what happens is we receive his reconciliation, which is our new relation. That's my second point. His reconciliation is our new relation. So we have his regeneration, which we, uh, we have his regeneration, excuse me, and we have his reconciliation. These are things that are only possible if you've died with Christ and therefore you were raised with him as well. I, I, I genuinely think this is one of the most important messages for our times because we We've allowed the world to dictate what happens inside the church. We've allowed ourselves to be moved by those who are on the outside instead of us being among those who are outside of the church and teaching them what love looks like. The Bible says they will know us by our love for one another. Can you imagine who Jesus was talking to when he said that? You got Peter who... Peter was a racist. Let's just call it what it is. He didn't like Gentiles. And I may rub you wrong, but go read the Bible. Peter didn't like Gentiles. And you had Simon the Zealot, right? But then you got Matthew, the tax collector. The only thing that would have been worse uh, than a Gentile to Peter was a tax collector. And Jesus purposefully chooses them, brings them together, and says, they, who? The world will know us by our love for each other. Why? Because human nature can't love that way. It takes God working inside of us to love that way. This is what the church is supposed to look like. This is what the set apart looks like. This is what holy looks like. 
This is why I've given up my life for this. Because I, I could tell you, there are so many people back in my hometown of Brownsburg, Indiana, where I've grown up, who knew me as Rashad, literally the devil's child, the one who tried to tear down the community, the one who used to chase after all the girls just to get back at the fathers who looked down on me, the one who had the alcohol problem, the one who, uh, just, a, just a bad individual. I admit it. And now God sent me right back to that same community and had me uh, grow a church from 25 to 300 people. And the way we grew it was just being honest about our brokenness, being real about who we were, and then loving each other through all of that. What does it look like when somebody who, who completely supports the KKK comes into your church and looks at you and says, I can't believe that you still love me despite all the things I've done to you over the years, all the things I've said to you over the years. People see that and it looks different. It looks completely different. And, they don't, and we didn't have to use any of the terminology that the world uses. We just showed them what sacrificial love looks like. When I wasn't worried that he called me out my name and all these other things, what I saw when he did that was that he was losing a spiritual battle. I saw him the way Christ sees him and simply said, I know the solution. His name is Jesus. That's what we're seeing in this text. And so finally, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God, he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is where it all goes down, y'all. His righteousness is our new foundation. His righteousness is our new foundation. Can you picture this with me? See, God is a holy God. If he fails to be just, he fails to be God. And so if the wages for sin is death, he can't just ignore or just sweep under the rug our sin. And so how does he do this? He looks at his son on the cross and he saw you and he saw me and he poured his wrath out as a, as a substitute of sorts, an atonement. He poured his wrath out on his son so that those who believe in his son, those who surrender to him as Lord and believe in him as savior would be seen as if they lived the life that he lived. In other words, God looked at his son and poured wrath out that was for you and for me on his son as if his son did it. His son didn't know sin. His son never sinned. Jesus never sinned, but God poured the wrath out on him as if, as if he committed our sins, as, as if he was the one who cheated on my wife, as if he was the alcoholic, as if he was the one who was addicted to porn, as if he was the one who wasn't in his daughter's life for the first five years of her life. He looks at Jesus and for me, for me, pours the wrath that I deserve out on Jesus so that, so that when he reconciles me to himself through Christ, when I believe in the gospel and surrender my life to Jesus, I, I'm allowed to, to stand before him as if I lived the life Jesus lived because there was this beautiful exchange that happened at the cross. This is, this is, this is the righteousness that he's given to us and this is our new foundation. Have you ever tasted something so good that you had to go and tell everybody about it? Like, like, like 
I don't know what's going on with the In-N-Out burger thing over here on the west side or whatever, but back where I'm from, we got White Castles. And I don't know if y'all got White Castles, but White Castles is, is, this, is this burger place and it's open 24 hours and you go there, you get these little small burgers and those who like White Castles, when you eat it, you go and tell everybody about it. Have you had White Castles? No. Girl, I'm going to mail you some White Castles, right? It's that good. It's good news when you taste it. In the same way, if you've tasted salvation, if you've tasted the love of Christ, how can you not be on mission to see people differently, knowing that if they haven't tasted Jesus, you should offer Jesus. This is what we're talking about when I say if you've died with him, Will you die for me? If you've actually tasted Jesus, if you actually have experienced the love of Christ, will you go out of your way to ensure that I experience it too through you? This is all I'm I'm challenging us to do this morning. And I would say just to look at this passage, don't believe me, right? Don't, don't tell y'all, y'all just met me today, but go back and read this for yourself. Read about the regeneration and the reconciliation and his righteousness. Know what the love of Christ truly is for you. Think back through what you deserve and how he loved you in that moment. Didn't wait for you to get right. When we say come as you are, we're not talking about your clothes. We're talking about you. Come as you are, and that's when Christ loves you. That's when he demonstrates his love. And if you've received that love, let that love control you. When it controls you, then you have died. And when you have died, then you will be willing to die for me. All the things that make us different cease to exist. They cease to cause any kind of division, and instead we just see the beauty of it. When I see the diversity of God's beautiful church, I'm excited. I don't need uniformity to have unity. What happens is I start seeing people not according to the things that the world calls them, but according to what Jesus calls them, his creation. And so I'm asking you this morning to help me break down the barriers. I'm doing my part back in Indiana, but man, what a mission field you have here in California, even within the church. What would it look like if purpose really, really went out saying everyone everywhere following Jesus because we no longer see each other according to the old values, but we see each other according to the new values. We've died with Christ and therefore we will die for each other. You can read more about this in Romans 14 when there's a whole bunch of differences in the Roman church. But Paul goes in there and says, look, don't tear down each other for the things that really don't matter. If you are vegan and the other man's a meat eater, don't eat meat around the vegan. (laughs) Just like die to yourself so that you can have the unity that matters so much more. And this is the life that I've been living. I'll never forget last year. Um, Actually, even more years before that, back when the Kaepernick and the kneeling thing started, I need you to hear this real quick. Just bear with me. See, I was in the U.S. Navy, um, and so I I have a very high appreciation for the flag. But I'm also, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan. 
And Kaepernick was my favorite quarterback at the time. When he knelt, I understood why he was kneeling. I'm an African-American man. But I also understood why so many people were upset about the flag as well. Here's the funny thing. See, I preached during the football season in my Kaepernick jerseys and my, and my 49er jerseys. Why? Because I'm a football fan and it doesn't change the truth. But ever since that moment where it split our congregation, I came in with my Kaepernick jersey and said, hey, I can still wear this and still teach the truth. It won't change nothing. But I know it offends half of you in this room. So I'll never wear this jersey again. But then I responded to that half of the room and said, would you do the same for your flag? And what we found was this moment, this beautiful moment where about 150 to 300 people looked at each other and said, I'll die for you. I may think that the flag is this high. I may think that kneeling during the flag is this high, but I will put those things to the side to ensure that we show the glory of God in our love for one another. Nobody really backed off of their views, but we saw what it looked like when we die with Christ and therefore die with each other, willing to see each other for exactly who we are, put the differences to the side for the greater purpose. Purpose Church, that's what I got this morning. I hope this blesses you. Let me, play out, let me, let me pray out one more time. And then I, I just want you guys to go and like live on mission with that. Challenge yourself at your workplace, at your school, when you come back into the church or when you just out and about. Just challenge yourself to see people the way that Christ sees people and not the way that the world is telling you to see people. And watch, watch how you become the example that people want to follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your example, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he in his place of, of perfection looked down on us and decided that we were worth him emptying himself out and wrapping himself in flesh because we had a problem, but we had no solution. Father, he became the solution because he saw us for who we are. And he loved us in that moment. He didn't hold that against us. Instead, he came down and allowed what he felt for us to move him to die for us. Father, I'm asking that those who have already surrendered their lives to your son, Jesus, Father, that they hear this message in a way that it pierces their hearts so that they want to die for each other now, following the example of Christ. And Father, those who don't know your son, Jesus, who haven't taken that step, Father, I'm asking, I'm asking that this pierces their hearts and lets them know that they're not too far away. There's no sin too great that the cross didn't conquer. Father, this is my story. And I thank you for those who came to my life and saw me the way that your son sees me and led me to him so that I could die with him and die for others. We thank you for your regeneration. We thank you for your reconciliation. And Father, we thank you for your righteousness that puts us in right standing with you. It's in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor Rashad, for sharing God's word with us. And to all of you watching online, thank you for worshiping with us today. See you next Sunday.